I want to do a shout out to one of our amazing partners, Banzoogle. Now, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a stunning website for artists. Now, I have personally have used web builders for years. In fact, the 8020 Records website is maintained by yours truly. But honestly, these days, as someone who represents artists, I just want something straightforward that still looks amazing and works with everything that we use, such as Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Bands of Town, Printful, and so forth. And Banzoogle checks off all of these. Also, for those of you who have no idea how to build websites, don't worry, they make it super easy there too. You do not need to know a single line of code. In fact, after you sign up, they go step-by-step step through each part of the process to get you up and running. Plus, their pricing is practically the same as if you paid for a web host. So really, it's a no-brainer. Lastly, and most importantly, what I love about Banzoogle is the people. Every single person I've spoken to has been nothing but kind and extremely responsive and helpful. They truly care about the artists that use their platform. And honestly, don't just take my word for it. Go listen to my interview with Stacy Bedford, the CEO of the company. Banzoogle is also offering to all our listeners 15% off the first year of any subscription. Just enter the promo code 8020show or 8020show, like the numbers, on banzoogle.com. I'll also put it in the description. Built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle. You're listening to The 8020 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The 8020 Show. I am your wonderful host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is Stacy Bedford, CEO of Banzoogle. Now, full disclosure, Banzoogle is our amazing new partner for the 8020 show. So I want to take the opportunity to thank Banzoogle and their entire team for partnering up with us. We are so excited to have you on board. In this interview, we discuss Stacy's incredible career path from developing Banzoogle's entire customer service from the ground up to becoming the leader of the entire company. We also talk about the importance of websites for artists, as well as how to nurture a successful career. It is my absolute honor and pleasure to give you Stacy Bedford. Hey, Stacy, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks. I'm so glad to to finally meet you. And uh, I was we were talking about earlier just before starting this interview how amazing your team was, and I really was looking forward to to interviewing you. And one of the things I do want to mention, I usually mention this a number of times in the podcast about how I met you essentially. Cause again, a lot of, as, as you know, about the music industry is about networking. And so uh, Emily White, who is the founder of the I voted festival and also been a guest on the 8020 show. Uh, she was mentioning about, Hey, do you want to meet new partners potentially for your podcast? And I said, absolutely would love to. And that's when he, when she introduced me to Dave cool um, over at Banzoogle and you know, lo and behold, we ended up working something out. So I'm so happy that uh, we now partnered together for the 8020 show and led me to interviewing you today. Well, it's it's lovely to be here today, and uh, I appreciate taking you taking the time to speak with me. Of course, absolutely. So uh, I also ask my um, guests usually this question in the beginning, which is, how did you get into music? Um, I really grew up in one of those uh, one of those houses that. If somebody is awake, there is music playing. Um, we always had family get-togethers, and at one point in the evening, one of my uncles would take out a guitar. 
Um, so that was really uh, like my formative years were always surrounded by music and there was always a soundtrack to different things that would happen in my head and those memories. Um, I remember, I think I officially took interest in playing music. Um, I think I was around 11 and Paul McCartney was on SNL. I was probably too young to be watching it. And I was like, I was bewitched. So the from there on, I just started saving up for my first guitar. I would steal my uncle's 12 string and try to pick away at things. And um, around around the age of 13, I got my first Gibson Nighthawk and uh, a family friend. He was uh, he was a, a subway busker at the time. He started giving me lessons. So I had a really heavy classic rock influence early on. Um, and then as I grew older into my teens, I spent, I think, every single night from Thursday to Sunday watching live music. Um, all of my friends were in bands at the time, but I was pretty happy to just watch and support them. I'm really not a performer at heart, but I love I still love to play music with uh, my 11 year old. He started playing the drums just like over a year ago. And uh, he's re- he's really into 90s punk right now, which kills me. And yeah, so I, I, I still maintain, uh, I still play and uh, just leisurely. And I thought it was so funny because the Kardashians, they're, they're dating Travis Barker and the, mm-hmm. they really, they really brought this trend back of uh, 90s punk. And it's amazing how much pop culture can influence <laughs> everything like that, right to my 11 year old, you know? That's that's so weird to think about too, because that's the kind of music that I grew up to was the nine like the ni- late nineties, early two thousands punk scene. Like that was definitely my thing. So it's amazing to see that's coming up with a resurgence, but it just shows you the the power of music and genres and they ebb and flow and sometimes they come out of trend and they come back into trend. And you know, that's a big component about the ever-changing music industry and how much it adapts to what is in you know what people are interested in. Yeah. And it definitely has a specific vibe. Like I'll be driving him somewhere and like switch to the lithium station. And he'll ask me, what band is that? What what band is playing? Because he, like, he just gets the sound and he's like, this is, this is something I'm into right now. So we've been, I've been relearning all this music that I used to play. (laughs) So let me ask you then, because you you sound like very early on, you decided that this was a passion of yours, but not necessarily uh, a career path for yourself, at least uh, from a musician side. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, like I, I loved being a part of the community and I love supporting the community. And because I had so many friends that were performers themselves from a really early age, I got to understand what the hardships were from everything from like booking gigs to promoting gigs to getting paid for gigs. And like, even just understanding that it was hard to monetize your business um, and all of the the struggles around that as an artist. So I got a really interesting perspective of that from a, from a young age. So, so did you think at that point in time that you wanted to get into the music industry on that part of the side of things, or were you just still just doing it for fun because you had friends that were also into music? Uh, at that age, to be honest, I wasn't thinking about much about my future. I just wanted to have a good time. And that was my idea of a great time. <laughs> I can totally understand that. Uh, so then you went on to college and uh, I think initially into design. So at that point in time, were you, you know, kind of still trying to figure out what you wanted to do with your life? Yeah. So I'm a, I would say that like even more so than music, I love visual arts and I was always really interested in 
this was a long time ago, but graphic design and learning the tools about that and drawing. And um, around that time, I thought I wanted to be a tattoo artist, to be honest. Um, so I thought after high school, I really had no idea what I wanted to do, um, but I'm not much of a languisher. I've always been really driven. So I decided like, I decided to do what I could so that I would have as many options as I, as I wanted when I was ready to make a decision. And if you think about it, that really looks like taking a lot of math courses and putting together a design portfolio, because then it opens a lot of doors for you kind of cover all of your bases. Um, so if you have those two things, you can get into most programs in university. And at some point along the way, while working on those, I took, I took a random economics elective and that really spoke to me. Um, I loved that you could, you could find solutions on real world problems using models and data. And it was a, it was a really weird thing, but it, it just, um, it was kind of random, but if you look back at it, it really makes sense to why I made a lot of decisions that I did. That's really fascinating. So uh, it was there, so essentially it was almost like you were combining the aspects of art still in the case of graphic design with essentially the business side. I mean, it was still very similar to before where you loved music, but also, but also loved the business aspect of the music industry as well. Yeah. And I think that it was really important that I didn't make a knee jerk decision to do any one thing. And I worked hard to, um, to explore. Um, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't just choose a path because I thought that was a good idea. I waited to see what felt right to me. So then after college, then what did you get into next? Well, like I said, if I think back to those choices now, I think it's pretty clear that I'm nothing if not efficient. So I would say that I had these skills that were really applicable and could be successful for pretty mundane career paths. I'm I'm a bright person. I'm organized. Um, I'm I'm comfortable with uh, making decisions, and um, I would say like if you want to succeed in the business world, it's really important to make yourself integral from the start. So I want I thought like what is the best way that I could monetize those skills while I found something that I'd be more passionate about, and. I think this really translates to artists because like a lot of artists starting out, I needed to find something that would effectively pay the bills so that I could spend time doing what I loved. And I was starting to figure that out in those days. So I think that's really consistent with the work that I do now at Ben Zugel, which is helping artists free up time to do what they love. No, I 100% agree. Um, but I, it's interesting though, because right after college, if I understand correctly, you went into, so you had this, you had design, you had economics, you know, an interest in economics, but then you went into real estate management. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to make the jump there, but I realized that like real estate was one of those careers that where if you're an honest person, you do well and the world is really your oyster. So like I said, my, my goal in the early days was to make a strong foundation so that I could build up enough resources to spend time doing what I love. And with real estate, especially um, when you're starting out in your career, it's one of those things where you have the opportunity to make some money and create a nest egg. And I really flourished. Um, it was not like my passion. <laughs> it was not a passion for me, but I did really well in it. Then what changed your mind to then get out of real estate management? Well, this is a funny story. So I really liked the whole process of like connecting people with their dreams, because obviously like buying houses is not something that people do very often, but it's a really big deal to them. So being part of that was really exciting to me. 
what was not exciting to me, and this wasn't the, I had just gotten married and I was starting a family. The hours are crazy. And this is a bit of a funny story because around at the same time, my sister, uh, who's my best friend, went to go see this band play and she fell in love with their bass player. So um, at the time, Chris was assigned to Aquarius Records. Um, as a lot of stories go, his band fell apart and he kept working there to create websites for artists. And this was back in your WordPress days in 2003, when you started, you know, working in, in tech too. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually um, like as websites became more important, he started, he, he decided like it was a lot of work to update all of their sites, like on demand as they needed to all the time. So he created this simple control panel so that the artists could update their websites on their own while they're on the road without any coding or design knowledge. And eventually this became, this is, this was the beginning of Banzoogle. So he hired his first developer a couple of years later, he was doing it all on his own. And then he needed someone to help him with customer service. And he knew that I had these transferable skills and I was somebody that he could trust. I was just out of university starting to do property management at the time. Uh, I was quickly promoted to off office manager and he said, I need someone who's organized and can help me run things. So uh, Chris asked me to help him at Benzugal. And at the time, uh, it was uh, 14 or 15 years ago, I was their only customer service rep. Wow. That's incredible. And also too, it's, it's so funny because that really is truly the core business, right? Which is finding a, a need that's out there sometimes accidentally, which in this case with Chris, it was the fact that he was updating websites for bands and realized that he was constantly having to do it himself. So finding a way to make it very easy for bands to do, be able to update their websites, which let's face it, most artists prefer to do anyway. They don't want to be, uh, you know, under, you know, somebody else's control of their own website. So you know, either they would have to learn it themselves or they would have to rely on somebody else to be able to do that for them. So this was really fulfilling a need and was providing a service. Like you mentioned that most bands, they just want the website to work. They just wanted to get everything up there. And then when they need to update it, they can update it very easily. So yeah. essentially Banzoogle was formed. Yeah. And you have to think back, like this was 18 years ago. So 18 years ago, there's no such thing as Wix or Squarespace. Like this yep, was a yep. brand new thing. Like it, like uh, website builders or like website templates didn't exist back then, yeah, especially absolutely. not for bands. No, definitely not. I mean, I think at the time we were struggling with GeoCities and, and things like that. I remember playing around with websites back then. And I mean, it was a challenge not to only figure out how to make it work in general, but also how to make it look good. And that's the other yeah. important thing too. Mm -hmm. So here's the other thing too, that was really interesting is that you were, you know, you just got married and you were starting to you have your own family and you were pretty much set in real estate management. I would imagine that even with, you know, Chris being part of the family, you know, inviting you to come over to Banzoogle. I mean, Banzoogle has was, been around for a little while, but it still must have been a pretty big risk to make that kind of a shift. It was a huge risk, but it felt it felt exciting. And and I knew it was a good idea because, um, like I like I said, I, I had this foundation and this background of being around artists and understanding their pain points and understanding how important it is to market yourself professionally and treat your treat your band like it would be any business, especially if you want to be in it for the long haul. Um, so it was a it was a jump, but it was a risk that I think paid off for everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh, 
so I, I think I may have mentioned this to my listeners before, but uh, my background also is in technical support and, and customer service. Uh, that was actually one of my first jobs, uh, literally right out of high school, because my parents own a software company. And so I was starting to do uh, service for them. And they've been around for a long time, even before I joined. But I can only imagine what it's like to essentially, I mean, you had to literally create service customer service for Banzoogle. I did. And <laughs> it's uh, just like, it was, uh, it was interesting because like we were in a period at the beginning, especially of, of growth. And I was, um, the whole, the whole thing about tech support is that, as you know, you could be asked such a huge range of questions and you have to be prepared for any of that. So creating a team and training them and just getting people who have like a well-rounded understanding of not just tech, but also music. Um, it was a whole thing, you know, I'm sorry, sure you had a lot of documentation you had to do along the way too. <laughs> yes, I created a lot of documentation along the way. It's also a challenge. I mean, we can definitely trade war stories all day long about tech support. Um, but uh, one of the things that I always find uh, challenging is also making sure that you set the boundaries because as much as we want to help people, right, especially when it comes to tech, there are some things that are within our control and some things that are are not in our control. And sometimes trying to explain that to a customer to making sure that they still feel like they're being taken care of and service. But there are some things that are, hey, you know, this is something that that is beyond our capabilities or beyond our control. And sometimes really, you know, it's tough to be able to try to convey that to the customer by, but also the same token, making sure that they feel like that they're still being taken care of. Yeah, 100%. And especially with technology, there's so many trends that come and go. For mm -hmm. example, like we went through the whole flash website trend and we knew it was not a good idea, but we had so much demand for it at the time. And just explaining to users like this is this shall pass, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> let's not build yeah. full websites in flash because we don't think this is going to be a longstanding uh, convention of web design. Um, so we definitely had to make different decisions along the way about like with a small team where we're, we were going to put our resources and what trends were going to, to last and which ones were important to focus on and explaining those to our users. It's always a challenge, especially with high touch points like customer service, um, always making users feel valued and that you understand them and this is in their best interest. So as customer service, I would assume that, you know, even though the Banzoogle team probably at that point in time was still relatively small, correct? At that point? Yeah. And actually now like we service about 60,000 or just under 60,000 artists. And uh, like, I think about half of our team is customer service, but we're only a team of 30. Wow. Um, so yeah. So like, I think that speaks to the ease of use of our platform is that everybody is able, like a small team is able to, uh, to uh, support such a big user base. Now, I'm sure for a lot of artists, they're trying to do this on their own and having a platform such as Banzoogle is fantastic um, because it takes care of a lot of a lot of the guesswork out of the equation. But is there anything that you found, um, especially doing customer service for so many years, that um, was a common struggle for artists to try to figure out how to what to put on their website or how to utilize a website properly? Yes, I would say the biggest challenge for artists, like, and this is at the beginning, and it still stands true today, is just really thinking about your website as part of an entire business strategy and how to properly and cohesively integrate all of the tools that you have available. Um, not only so things that so things match your brand, but also so that they work well for your visitors. 
Secondly, I think that a lot of artists will maintain some presence on whatever social media is available at the time or popular at the time or streaming uh, platforms that are popular now. But if your goal is to have legs and to be in this for the long haul, you're going to want to consider all of those as part of a system instead of um, just focusing on any one thing. So like you definitely want to be where the people are hanging out, but you'll want to capture their contact information consensually. You'll want to control the experience just as you would at a show. And I think that I think artists really need to consider how all those moving parts support each other and what impact they have now and later on. While I was working in customer service, like these are questions that I, I would get asked and really informed the types of staff that I would later look to hire because Um, It's really important that these touch points not only understand the technical side and how to support your app from a technical point of view, but also that they've walked in your customer's shoes. Um, And most of the staff at Benzigal are artists too in the same boat. So they really understand where where the customers are coming from and how to support them. Absolutely. And I think uh, one of the things that I personally really liked about uh, you know, using Banzoogle for the first time was that immediately when I first got everything registered and signed up, that the first thing that came back was, okay, this is literally the first thing you do. And it gave me literally a wizard to, and, you know, step-by-step process on what I should do to get at least started with the website. And it's fantastic because, you know, especially for somebody who, again, who doesn't know anything about website design, they don't even know, like, sometimes it's, it's very daunting that you have all these capabilities and all these features and things like that. It's, where do you even start? And it was nice to just see, okay, well, this is this, the process you go through step by step by step. And then here you go. Now you can do all these different types of things with it. And again, it's because of the fact that it is important for artists to not only understand on how, what they can do with it, but also the importance of why it's important to them. Yeah. And I love that you pointed out the wizard because like on, on the side of our product, like we always make sure that we communicate things in different ways. So one way that you can do things is by using our wizard or like our, our directed like tools to create what you want, but you can also go at like with a completely blank design with like a completely blank with completely blank pages and content, or you can have a starting point. Um, so some, some, uh, some members really, uh, it really resonates with them well if they're led through a process. And then some of them prefer reading materials. So we have like this big help section and a big blog, sec- a big blog that's quite popular with different music schools. Um, but then we also have like the hands-on learning where uh, like Melanie, our director or our, our communications manager and Dave, our partnerships guy, our VP will go through and like do workshops, webinars, and those sort of things to help artists get started because there's a lot of different ways that um, people learn how to do things. And hopefully, (laughs) hopefully we can support them through that in different ways. Absolutely. And the other thing too, I I like what you were talking about with websites in general and their reliance on platforms. And I think that's extremely important because you just don't know tomorrow platform can decide to change their entire policy and it also starts working against you. Um, Or, I mean, the platform could all all of a sudden be no longer relevant. I mean, you know, sorry, MySpace, I love you guys, but like, you know, it wasn't what, like it was back in the day. I mean, and that's the thing is like there, I've seen so many people talking about how they invested so much into one platform and then all of a sudden everyone left the platform for whatever reason. And where, you know, where, you know, where are they going to go now? Cause they invested everything into one thing. And it's so important to diversify where your intention is coming from. And the great thing about a website is that 
uh, not only is it like you mentioned before, is that you have total control over the entire experience, but on top of that too, the way I look at websites is that it essentially is your resume as an artist. Like that is your resume. So if you want people to go and learn more about you, whether it's a fan or somebody in the industry, you should be directing them to your website and the website needs to look, look great. It needs to present you well. And just like you would, if you were going to send a resume to, for a job application. So mm-hmm. I'm a very big proponent. I, I encourage all my artists to have a website and um, not to get into too much technical and, but also for SEO purposes too, for people to be able to find you on, on searches. Also extremely important to have your own website and have people to go there. And like you mentioned, have the ability to capture their email addresses for newsletters um, to find, you know, to be able to find what platforms you're on um, and all those different things. The, your website is your centralized hub. Yeah. And, Like, even if you do decide to go with a different website platform, whatever you partner with for your website, it's, it's really important to focus on, um, to think about like the type of website that they, that they output. Like if there's clean code, that's easy for Google to index keywords on your site and it, you know, uh, like your annual uptime for your server provider, like all those things are really important. Um, if you're looking for a good, a good web host. Absolutely. I mean, that's definitely something that I always look for as well. Okay. So let's continue on because you were doing customer service for many, many years, and then you uh, were promoted up to a director of operations. Uh, so you can talk a little bit more about that, like how that kind of came about. Yeah. And I will say that I had like a pretty interesting journey through Benzigal. And each time I got promoted, it was like a huge surprise. So it was not something that I expected. And when I got this promotion to director of operations, I was floored. Like I was so happy about it. But um, I was I was basically promoted to director of operations because uh, the rest of the team needed some systems put in place that were working really well on the support team. Um, so like our R&D team, our design team, our communications and business teams needed some of those processes. And this was like seven or eight years ago when remote companies were not very common. So I had to get really creative about the tools that we use to accomplish all of that. Um, I really loved this role um, because it was, uh, it was a role where I got to talk with everybody and in different capacities and I got to know everyone really well. Um, I got to observe their pain points and come up with really creative solutions to not just facilitate their work as individuals, but also in a group setting. Um, I thought it was really a really rewarding role because you're just making everyone's lives easier if you're doing a good job at it. And it really fostered a sense of well-being and trust across the whole team. That's amazing. Uh, What... What were some of the differences between now, because now that your role has fundamentally changed to servicing essentially your own team in comparison to servicing the customers, can you talk a little bit more about the the differences between those? Yeah, to be honest, the uh, the customers have always been a priority through all of my roles at Benzoogle. So like I just kind of put a lens on the operations role is if the team is happy then they're doing a better job with the customers. So I kind of got to them through <laughs> through the staff instead of directly. Um, so I would say that that's uh, like that's the connection between the two roles for me is just um, really still focusing on the end user, um, but how to do that like uh, in a more impactful way. 
I also like to talk for a second about the fact that you mentioned that the team is remote. Um, so has that been always the case since day one uh, with Banzoogle? It's been the case since day one. And I'm pretty sure that we started that way because Chris just didn't want to work in an office. So it was like for no him. other reason. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to work from home with his dogs and uh, he he just started it up that way. But it was really funny because I, I've been involved in, I think, almost all the hiring at Banzoogle from the beginning. And back in the day, convincing people that a company called Banzoogle, which doesn't sound like a real company name, was like a real job where they would get paid to work from home. It was like really hard to convince people that this was a real <laughs> job offer. That's amazing, actually. And, you know, I can only imagine, too, how much easier it is to manage because now, like so many companies um, out of necessity had to go to remote. But, you know, even in general, even, you know, pre-pandemic, that was already going to, that was already a trend of remote working. So I can only imagine how many tools are available now, um, how much more streamlined the company is in comparison to before where there was not as many tools available. Yeah, it's wild. We could probably create like a timeline of all of the tools we used for different goals and like our experiences with them. And I'm like kind of kicking myself for not writing a book during this time because I think it could have been really helpful. <laughs> but um, at the same time, it's uh, like we were really lucky when the pandemic hit because we didn't have to adjust our processes at all. So we had kind of like a leg up on many other organizations, even in the music space. Um, a lot of them, a lot of them have really lavish offices that they've got with VC funding and like they're very cushy and comfortable in there. And then they had to change and they're working from home with no comfortable workspace and they had to adjust to communicating. And it was, it was a nightmare for a lot of, a lot of uh, organizations, but um, we were really fortunate in that we've been doing this for 18 years and this is where we're happiest and most comfortable anyways. One of the things that I've seen that some companies have concern. So for example, A20 Records is also fully remote. Um, so we, we, we have, you know, we have our team virtual meetings and things like that too. But um, I know that even as a, a leader, that's sometimes a challenge, but I've also heard other people about remote. The concern is about uh, team, you know, team motivation, you know, team morale essentially, right? Because you're not actually seeing each other, not actually physically in the same space with each other. So um, what have you, you know, especially in the director of operations role, um, you know, how did you help maintain to make sure that not only the team was happy, but also happy with each other? Well, that's a good question. I think that a lot of people, um, I don't want to say that it's lazy, but I think a lot of people who work outside of their house, um, like it's not, I think a lot of the, uh, it's a really great way. I will say this. It's a really great way to fulfill some socialization. But I don't think that your job has to be the place that you fulfill those needs as a person. So I would say like um, it's it's a good idea if like you're thinking like I don't like remote work because it's isolating that you think about how that's not the problem of being in a remote workplace, but it's a problem of the rest of the way that you like spend your time and all of that. So you can fulfill those needs in other ways, but to create like a sense of cohesiveness and togetherness, I think it's important to have like a genuine interest in what your team members are up to and just keep your fingers on the pulse about what makes them happy and respect their, their time and their space. Like some of our staff like to be checked in with on a personal level in a video call regularly, but other ones prefer that you just don't talk to them and they want to get their heads done and work is work and they go, you know, so make options available for team building. 
in a remote setting, there's so many options and articles about how to do that right now, but don't make them mandatory um, and recognize that some people will sort themselves out. You know, <laughs> they'll be like, this is not my time for socializing. This is, I, I will do this later. Um, I want to focus on my work. You know, you're very right. Is that, you know, especially with my team as well, trying to understand how they prefer to be communicated, how often they want to be communicated with. And, you know, it, it definitely is. Uh, interesting to try to navigate through that because again, you want to make sure that everyone's happy. And and I do agree with you. It's a very interesting point that you made that if people feel isolated, usually it's because of their own social lives and not necessarily because of their work environment. And I think that's a very valid point. So um, continuing down this path a little bit, um, was there a time that you had to make a diff difficult decision in this particular role in director of operations? Yes, I could think of some, but it was, so I was in this role. Um, I think I left this role about four years ago, but the, the one instance that stands out to me the most is right at the beginning. <laughs> so when I was director of operations, it was a whole new role at Benzugal. This didn't exist before. And a lot of the problems on the team at that time stemmed from the fact that our, like our founder and our CEO at the, at the time, were not on the same page. And that really, and that discord, it really affected different systems across like the whole team at Benzugal. Um, and I think that happened because everybody was really passionate about our cause. So it came from a good place. But um, I also, and I also think that some resistance is really healthy for a company to grow in the best way possible. Because if everybody is always in agreement all the time, like you're not gonna end up with the best product or the best tools, you know, like you want some resistance in there. So as director of operations, I had to come up with a creative solution with how do, how do we listen to everybody, but also make sure that this is happening in a constructive, like, uh, um, I would say like a constructive way that is like moving things forward and it's uh, productive. So I would say the first thing that I did was make sure that we had a platform to honor everybody's opinions, but give them equal weight and uh, let them contribute at the right times. Um, before we had like, uh, like kind of uh, our virtual office was like a chat uh, system. We use Slack now, we use something different before. Um, but like, if you're always chiming in with your opinions about things, it's like not, it's very disruptive to other team members. So I said, so I said, let's give everybody a comfortable space to communicate asynchronously without interrupting everybody else's workflow. And this is really an operations issue, you know, like we want to hear from you. You just can't do it. Like whenever you think about it, or you can put it in a place where you think about it when everybody else is ready to read it, they can get, they can go there, you know, like you have to have the option to opt in when you're ready to. Um, so, so I, I felt like giving everyone that space where you're com where it's like a comfortable space to communicate without interrupting everybody. Um, I would say that like, it was a, it was especially huge challenge because I was directing my superiors at the time. Um, wow. and, uh, ultimately like it was a great idea. It led to a more effective workflow on the team. That's incredible. So you didn't always stay in the role of director of operations and I'm curious then when you got promoted to CEO, was that also came as a surprise? Yes, actually, this is a funny story too, because like, uh, I wouldn't recommend like working with family to anybody, but it's worked really well for me and Chris, like he's married to my sister now. Um, but when he, he decided to, he decided to retire um, and he, 
wrote me an email saying that he was retiring and then he just didn't come back to work. Like he's not like a big communicator, but he's like, he's one of the smartest people that I know. So I actually didn't know for the first month that I was CEO. It came across (laughs) in a conversation. Yeah. And me and my sister were crying because we're like, this is, this is peak Chris right now. Um, (laughs) And I was so happy (laughs) anyways, but yeah, every time uh, I would say like it happened, but every time Chris promoted me to a different role at Benzigal, those years were tied to standout growth periods. And I had taken a few maternity leaves. I have three kids that were born during this time. Um, and at Ben Zugel, I remember when I came back after four months off, my boss at the time said, Ben Zugel without you is a less happy place. So like, I don't mean that in a boastful way, but there were key reasons why I was offered the role. And there were clear measurable ways that I was able to make a difference, but then there was also a part of it that might be just as important, but a little more abstract and that not everybody can do. So um, I would say that during, during my time, I made a big effort to, to create a happy home at Benzigal. And I also, I also learned that a leadership role meant more about supporting than telling. Um, and those soft skills are key. Your ego is dangerous. And uh, Chris could have hired a really seasoned, experienced CEO, but he took a leap just like I did in the early days and leaving a successful real estate career. Um, and he put me in charge and I couldn't be more grateful. That was the thing, right? He, he, he trusted you and you know, that there's more to say about trust than it comes down to even experience and skill sets. And I think that is so important when you are building out your team that you really want to surround yourself with people that you do fundamentally trust that have that has the 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 business in this best in their best interests. Yeah, I, I would agree. Trust is a trust is huge. The other thing too, which is uh, funny because you were mentioning about family, and uh, for a while, uh, my business partner was my brother uh, for for the label. So he came on board after the label was formed, and. Uh, and he was looking for something new to do and he was, uh, getting his MBA in college. And so he approached me about possibly partnering up with, uh, me on the company at the time I could definitely use the help. So he came on board and, uh, this is actually the case scenario where actually it didn't work out because my brother and I, we, we've always had a great relationship, but we never worked together in that way. And we are, we knew our differences with each other, but we couldn't come to terms with our differences of how we like to run things. And it really did put a big strain on our relationship for a while because it ended up that we were only talking about business and it was more about arguments than anything else um, or guilt that the other person was not on the same page as, as the other person was. And it really put a strain on our relationship. And um, so fortunately, I mean, I, now that we have, our relationships better than it ever was before. So we were able to work things out and uh, we just realized that, you know, working together, there was too many differences and we were able to, to at least come to a point where we realized that, but that I never thought that it was a problem working with family. I mean, you know, again, my original bosses were my own parents. And so, you know, I've always understood what it means to be family, but also what I learned is that it's important to make sure that you that you have also have that boundary of that your family is more important than even the business is. And you need to make sure that you spend time with your family. That's not always shop talk. And it's not yes. always about the business. It's also important to make sure that you're nurturing those parts of your relationship. 
Oh, 100%. And we have a very unique setup. Chris does not talk to me about work ever. And we spend a lot of time together. We do a lot of family vacations together and that sort of thing. And we very rarely talk about work on our personal time. That's great discipline. Let me tell you, (laughs) even for us, like even like when I'm on vacation or spending time with my family, I mean, usually work will come in there. Usually it's talking about stories and anything else. Uh, So usually it's not too much shop talk, but um, you know, some, you know, we're, you know, myself and my parents, especially we're very entrepreneurial minded. So it's just like, it's like our minds are going 24 seven when it comes to business. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I do want to talk about is now that you uh, essentially landed into the role of CEO for Banzoogle, uh, one of the things I always find interesting, especially in the tech space, is that, you know, the technology space is constantly changing, as you know, you're doing, trying to do things remotely and especially trying to keep up with web design and the requirements that are involved and, and what is needed and the integrations that are involved. And in addition to that, you have the industry, which is in the case of the music industry, that is also constantly changing too, probably just as rapidly, if not more, than the tech industry is. So now in this leadership role, how how do you maintain that? Like, how do you keep that balance? Um, I would say, like, it is overwhelming. Uh, it's it's a whirlwind. It makes coming today uh, to work every day very exciting because you never know what you're going to walk into. Um, but I would say the real secret to like 18 years of staying on top of these things is really just to stay interested. Um, if you have a genuine curi- curiosity about your industry, um, any industry that you're working in and a vested interest, you're going to stay on top of things just because you want to know about it. And for me, it doesn't feel like a chore. And that doesn't mean if you're a CEO that you need to know everything about all the moving parts, but have an awareness of the things that you're not on top of uh, (laughs) and hire people who have the same genuine interest in those parts as you do. Um, I would say if there's any, yeah, if there's anything really specific that's important, hire people who also have the same genuine interest that you do and and just trust them to do their jobs. Um, But make sure that you have like, When you're at the top, you need to have a good understanding of what's going on at a higher level Um, and everything else will fall into into place if you have the right people around you. Yeah, I totally agree with that is now because it was interesting is the fact that you went, you kind of like literally just like Chris decided to go and basically became CEO was there a change in expectations at that point in time for yourself as well, because you were dealing a lot with the operations of the team as it was, but now in this official role as CEO, what, how, how did the expectations change uh, for your position? Yeah, I, I would say to some extent, I'm still uh, involved in operations. I'm still involved in the product side of things. I still have a foot in <laughs> customer service in a small company you wear many hats um, but I do think that the expectations of my role as CEO really manifested more as a sense of responsibility. Um, I suddenly felt a really huge responsibility to all of the staff and the families because I've got to know them very well over time. Um, and uh, and also like the weight of that, like it's always on my shoulders. And I feel I feel also a huge responsibility to all of our fellow artist community to give them the best, most relevant tools um, that like that we can with while taking as little as possible. So I'm constantly working on cost containment with our suppliers. I'm constantly looking at what's happening in the music industry and adapting our tool set to what artists need today. And um, I would say like 
that's one of the main reasons too, why we still maintain our commission-free sales. And we include all of our existing and new tools in our membership fees. Um, we're, we're always adapting these tools to what our artists need to be successful online. And I would say it's more of a responsibility than anything. And that, that just makes those expectations in my leadership role also happen more naturally. I'm doing what I need to do. I will say I will make a point, and uh, whether whether the fact that that we're that Banzoogle is a partner of a twenty show or not, like these are seriously le- legitimately things that I really like as uh, a representation for artists. I really like the fact that you decided that not to take commission fees because whenever I see that, it's not necessarily an immediate no, but it does make me do- you know kind of double check and making sure this is a wise decision because when it comes to revenue, right, it is something very, very coveted, right? Because that, that is, you know, the income that's coming into the band and you never know how much that's going to grow. And, you know, and also we're called 20 Records for a reason. We give 80% to the artist, right? So not only we're making sure that we're best interest of the artist, but we're also only getting 20%, which is like for us, that's, that is what we're only getting here. So we're yeah. very careful about what, you know, especially when it comes to percentages, where it's going to, because we're only getting that 20%. So we're going to make sure that we get as much as that as we possibly can. Yeah. And it's not common in our industry too. Like artists have been taking advantage of so much and like, there's so many stories about this, but you know, like all of these tools that are available now, like artists can do things that they couldn't do without a team before all on their own. And um, at Banzoogle, we've been able to maintain this autonomy of being able to make choices like this that are not profit driven because we've never received any VC funding. We're fully bootstrapped. We've done everything on our own. Um, So it's really allowed us to (laughs) keep things honest. Which is, which is really amazing. And it just shows up about you and the rest of the team as well, is that you still have in your mind, you know, making sure that you look out for the artists, the customers, essentially. And I, I feel the very exactly the same way. It's like, oh, yeah, we, we are a business. We need to make sure that we're making money, make sure that bills are paid and so forth. And obviously looking, you know, to continue to grow because the more we grow, the more we're able to do things like that's just naturally how we think. And you know, but at the same token too, is making sure that at the end of the day, that the, you know, that the customer or the client is, is being taken care of, making sure that their needs are taken care of. And it's something that is, you know, affordable to them and that they, that at the very least see that, see the value out of it back to themselves as well. Yeah, exactly. So you, I mean, you've now led in a, you know, oppressive career, um, you know, especially through Banzoogle all these years. So I know that there are so many people that, you know, look towards you and, you know, not only just as somebody who has progressed, you know, literally from ground level went up the chain to being CEO, but also, especially as a woman in the music industry as well. And uh, do you have any advice both for, uh, for young men, women that are getting into the music industry for the first time and just, and also just people in general, um, how, is there any advice that you have for anybody that's looking to progress in their careers? Yes. Um, I think uh, the first thing that I would focus on and the first thing that I would say is like, always make the best use of your time. Um, the first part of that is just an awareness of how you spend your time and be honest about it. If it helps, if you need to keep a log of what you do each hour for a week, you'll be surprised at how you spend your time. I would say the next thing you should do is cut out things that are not productive. 
And I don't mean that you always need to be working because I definitely don't. I, I, I work for eight hours and then I check in later at night and I'm offline for a number of hours during the day. So I'd say be critical about your downtime. Um, for example, if you spend three hours a day on social media doom scrolling, that could be spent better doing a hobby that you love. Make sure that you carve out time to grow in other ways. And those will really help those will really help shape you as a person and in your career. You're going to come back to work more fulfilled. You're going to have like more perspectives from your new experiences. And you'll be a good example to your coworkers who eventually hopefully are your juniors. So I would say be really mindful that the time that time is your most precious resource. Wow. That is beyond wise advice. And uh, I definitely hundred percent agree. So I'm going to end on that note because I think that's something that everyone should really take away with. But I want to thank you so much, Stacey, for your time. And uh, again, I really appreciate um, the collaboration with the 8020 show. It means the world to me. So thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was very nice speaking with you today. And thanks. You too. Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 show. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow. If you enjoyed the episode or this podcast overall, please leave us a review or comment on our socials, which you can find us at 8020records on pretty much all platforms. You can also check us out on our website at www.8020records.com. And as always, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.